Hello and welcome to Do Good and Do Well, How to Be a Changemaker Without Losing Yourself. If you are new here, my name is Sarah Fox. I'm the host of the podcast. I'm also a coach, a mentor. I do some training. I'm a facilitator and I love working with people who are really wanting to make a positive difference in the world, make a positive contribution but that want to do that without losing themselves and without having to sacrifice parts of them in the process. So welcome to the podcast and welcome back to anyone who is a regular listener. I really, really appreciate you being here. So in today's episode, I am talking to the wonderful Ruth Singer. Ruth is an artist, a writer, and does a huge amount of work supporting artists. She has a textile practice, and alongside that, she runs a membership for makers who want to build more research and meaning into their practice. And she's a fellow podcaster. She has a brilliant podcast called Making Meaning, so make sure you go and check that out. And she mentors other artists and loves to create projects where people and places and stories come together. And that's what we talk about in this episode. And we talk about money and all the things about being a freelancer, about being in the arts and cultural sector. We ask some big questions, uh, don't necessarily find the answers, but we enjoy exploring that. I hope you enjoy this episode. Take care. Hello, Ruth, and welcome to the Do Good and Do Well podcast. How are you today? I'm, I was about to say I'm fine. I'm actually not very well. <laughs> I'm recovering. So I, I'm not quite as 100% on the ball as I might be normally, but um, mm. it's really nice to be here because I think actually using my brain a bit is is good for me. Keeps the brain chugging a bit to have something to think about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you have been suffering, so thank thank you for for being here. But I think you're right. Yeah, it's that it's quite nice to. It would be easy to just sit on the sofa, wouldn't it, and snuggle up and do nothing. Oh yeah, no, I've been doing that for a week, and it's nice. But well, it's been rubbish. But <laughs> but also, you know, and I think it's important that we should say if we're not 100 percent well, because yeah. we all go, yeah, I'm fine. Everything is fine. <laughs> And never admit when things are not great, but yes. it's, you know, it's on its way out. I am getting better. Good, good. Well, why don't we start with you telling us a bit about yourself? Yep, I'm Ruth Singer. I choose my different titles depending on the day, but today I'm going to go with artist, writer and researcher. And my, my textile practice is based around my previous career working in museums. So a lot of heritage and history, memories, human stories. And that's what I explore through textile artworks, places, stories, and people. It's what I'm really interested in. And in my other work, I kind of explore similar themes. So with my freelance work and writing and research work is about supporting artists and freelancers mm. to do the kind of, you know, the, the best version of themselves. I don't like that phrase. I wish I hadn't said it now. <laughs> No, I know it's a fun. Yeah, it is a funny phrase, isn't it? It's kind of like, how can we be ourselves? Yeah, um, and but and help do... people to feel good with what they're yeah. trying to do with the, in the world, whether that's creative practice or running businesses or um, all kinds of other things. And I think a lot of my work is around inspiring and sharing, 
And for years, I felt kind of slightly resentful about that kind of inspiring people doesn't pay the bills. You know, this is <laughs> people say, oh, you're so inspiring. And I go, oh, great. Will you please buy something? <laughs> but now I've kind of accepted that, that actually, and kind of, you know, really taken that on board and actually really appreciate that, that people find me, me and my work and um, the stuff I put out in the world inspiring. And that's a wonderful thing, really. So I'm mm. moving into that and enjoying that and making the most of it. Yeah. Yeah. Embracing it. What do, what do they say specifically what inspires them? Well, that's, I mean, for many years, that's been through my textile practice about, you know, the work that I make and the stories that I try and tell with it and how, and I think also about, you know, the way I get it out in the world. I do share a lot of what I do and I do exhibiting and a lot of writing. So I sh- literally sharing the techniques and the ideas around my work and always being very generous with it. Mm. And that sharing practice, I guess, has been has been all the way through my entire working life because that's what, for me, that's what my museum training, my museum work was about. It was about sharing stories, about sharing ideas and making things accessible and visible and in inspiring for other people so that's where I see that I've sort of carried through the same way of working mm. through from being a museum curator and education officer into being an artist and being kind of a freelancer and mentor and and consultant and all of the different many different things that I do yeah I'm interested or, or curious about you said that you're interested in places and story and people what interests you about that well, it 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 varies. I mean, one of the the things I find exciting about my my artist practice and my other work, which other people can find confusing, it is that I like lots of different things, you know, and I've, I I cut across lots of different areas. So I've worked with archive collections, and I've worked with contemporary stories about food banks, and I've worked with um, historical textiles as purely technique-based inspiration and research. So I research historical techniques as well. So because I'm cutting across lots of different things, which, you know, is is kind of not recommended practice for an artist, really, particularly in craft, because I'm, you know, I'm interested in lots of stuff and I make lots of different things. I don't make the same thing, but I like a lot of variety. I need new challenges and new things all the mm. time. Um, and within that kind of people, places and stories gives me a lot of scope. <laughs> to fit in pretty much anything that I'm interested in this week so you know my interests do change massively over time um but there is always this thread through of a kind of human stories and human experience and that ties in with my kind of overall practice of of sharing Mm. you know my work my ideas my thoughts and sharing kind of unseen stories or things that might people might not know about and kind of opening up and illuminating Mm. I mean, in terms of, you know, the the kind of themes that I'm interested in, my, I have a degree in medieval history. So, Do you? Know, you? Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, my first degree, well, medieval studies. So history, languages, art history, particularly art history was what I mostly focused on. But I did a lot of landscape history and medieval French and Latin and sorts of things that I was terrible at. Um, <laughs> but art history I was good at. It was a, quite a revelation <laughs> that I could do that bit. Um, and then I went on to did a museum studies master's degree and and then worked in museums for for quite a long time. And that background of working in a way of looking at stories 
historical stories, contemporary stories. In museums, they can be contemporary as well. And illuminating them and making them accessible and visible and finding a way in, finding in a kind of little nugget that's interesting and that will connect with people. And that's what I do with my own practice, my own artist research, is I'm looking for a nugget that really interests me in a wider story and then digging into it. And I find that the whole process really fascinating. And that's the sort of thing I share that that process as well as the, the finished outcome. So, you know, my, my membership and my podcast is all about meaning in creative mm. practice and the stories that we want to tell and doing research. and and. Um, so there's lots of different elements to it, but you know, research is is a big part of what I do and how I work and how I think. Mm. The, the point where actually the research is kind of what I want to do mostly, but we have to have an output, don't we? <laughs> I just sit and I can't just sit and think all day, sadly, which which would be no. good. Yeah, we need to find yeah an income stream where you can just sit and think and not have to have an output. There's a couple of things that you said that um. And I'll let you choose which kind of direction we go in. There's two things. There's one about what I'm hearing you say is there's a generosity to your work. There's a lot of sharing. You know, you're sharing the process, you're sharing the output, you're sharing your not your thinking, but also, as you say, illuminating, sharing the stories of others that might not otherwise be heard. So I'm interested in that idea of generosity in business and how we might kind of unpick that a little bit and then you also mentioned about having worked in museums for a long time and then coming into freelance and I think there's an interesting conversation about what shifts happen going from working as as an employee to running your own business and making all the decisions yourself yeah, those are the sort of two bits. I was like, oh, oh, we should have that conversation. Which one? Which one do you fancy having, or which one do you want to start with? We start with the the generosity thing because I think that's they, they do they actually tie together a bit. Um, so if I remember, I'll try <laughs> bring the two in <laughs> together. But I think the thing with generosity is, you know, we're we're conditioned not to do that, not to give away stuff. In some ways we are, you know, we give away our time all the time. We're conditioned <laughs> to do that. But in terms of, you know, business-wise, I mean, I'm always looking for ways that I can make an income out of sharing that. But it, yeah. I've always sharing first and then try and work out how to make an income out of it afterwards. But I, part of that with me is because I like sharing. I find sharing is an important part of what I do, whether that's my own textile practice or the conversations that I have with other artists, which I've turned into. Um, my podcast so it's about the re- I like to get response from other people not for validation I mean validation is great yeah it's important but I love hearing how my work my creative output impacts other people and influences or inspires or just makes them think about things in a different way so whether that's an artwork in an exhibition or a picture on Instagram or a conversation on the podcast when people say gosh I, I saw myself you know I recognized myself in some of what you were saying or that's really helped me understand something about what I do or seeing my own experience or somebody else seeing their own experience through how I've expressed it through textiles so when I've done pieces about um, loss and mourning and grief and those have been really resonant for a lot of people and Mm. people have said to me many times that just seeing that in a gallery space really validates their own experience and makes them feel that they're part of things so 
that's really where the sharing comes from because I love to see how other people react and respond and engage with what I'm interested in and what I do and how kind mm-hmm. of you know just seeing the sparks come from other people when they're they engage with what I'm talking about yeah and I guess as an artist that's kind of the sharing bit <laughs> is quite an important bit unless you do want to just sit in your studio and make for your own sake but there is something about there is something natural in that kind of shit and natural that's the word but something about normal I suppose in in sharing something but I think that point about being able to connect with other people and kind of share that feeling of yes I feel like that too or or even difference you know you had that thought I don't feel like that that's interesting that's a point of interest how can we have a conversation about that and the point about how do you then balance the giving of and sharing with also having a business and having to make an income (laughs) and as we know we talk about you know making as having a sustainable income so that you can make the impact and and share like you want to share I think what I really like about the stuff you do is is I suppose it's similar in a way to how I work you know if I'm running a workshop for example I will be really transparent and say this is a free workshop but I am going to spend a minute or two talking about how you could come and work with me you know because there will be some of you who will want my help to implement this thinking and then there'll be lots of you that want to just take it away and do it yourself but that kind of I think with your membership and with your podcast and when you're talking about your mentoring and all the things that you do there's a transparency to that there's there's here I am doing this and you can also work with me on a deeper level and pay me to do that yeah and I think partly for the way that my business was established you know when I first set up which is over 17 years ago now, I started off doing a lot of freelance teaching. And then I very soon got into writing and about textile, very much about textiles. And that kind of sharing as a business business model, yeah, sharing in exchange for money. But I've always been doing that. So when I've had periods where I've been trying to do the more traditional make work, sell work to private customers, it doesn't sit well with me anyway, because it's not a business model that feels comfortable with me you know it's too capitalist for me basically because I have to sell you know in order to sell the work that I like to make which is very very slow and time consuming becomes very expensive and then it's only accessible to wealthy people or wealthier people Mm. and I I, you know that's fine it's perfectly valid business model but it's not right for me it never felt right for me never felt comfortable for me I resisted selling so badly that I realized (laughs) that this was not a viable way to make a living so the teaching and the writing particularly and then all the kind of the other the freelance aspects freelance work that I've done over the years alongside really worked better for me it just works better for the way I like to work and I like to work with other people a lot even though you know I love being on my own in my own studio for making mm. my own work but collaborating and working with others or connecting with others in all those different kind of you know written or um, workshop kind of way really is just much more inspiring for me much more exciting for me than you know making for private clients and nobody really ever seeing it and you know I I like I like my work to be seen and shared and experienced and you know that 
very commercial practice just to never I mean, I was not very good at it, but also because I wasn't very committed to it. <laughs> I think that's why I was terrible at selling, because I wasn't really committed to it. But, you know, I learned a lot from when I started teaching and running my own sewing workshops. I ran a, a t- sewing studio for about three years, and I learned a lot from that about marketing and selling, because I was selling an experience rather than trying to sell my own talent, mm. which is really difficult for a lot of artists <laughs> to say, I make great stuff, you want the great stuff. And I found that really difficult. I've always found that difficult. Whereas saying, we teach these amazing things. You can come and learn this stuff in this lovely social environment was much, much easier. And I've been able to carry forward some of that mindset mm-hmm. into selling, you know, the wider things that I do now, like my mentoring and my membership, which uh, which is a, still all about sharing and working with other people, but just not in the kind of textile studio sewing techniques kind of way so the same ideas but I've moved in I've moved into a different style of thing that I sell yeah I think that it's about messaging isn't it when I think it is really hard to sell particularly for people who care about the worlds and want to be want to contribute positively and who have certain values you know might not be driven by money per se but we need to get an income so getting that message right and I, that that's one of the things that I've been really working on over the last couple of years is how do you how do you sell like coaching coaching is a weird thing and if you spend mm. if you spend like ages talking about the process of it like I could talk forever about how brilliant I think coaching is and you know what it what the processes the models we use and all of that sort of stuff but in a way that's not the bit that mm. gets people interested the bit that gets people interested is what can it what can it do for me and i think when you're talking about that experience you're giving people it's the same sort of thing it's like what's what can this give me what might change what might be different by the end of this that is going to be really helpful and so messaging around that more tangible uh, stuff rather than the techniques from in terms of coaching I think yeah and I think that's the same with you know with all of the work that I do the mentoring the membership it's all about being immersed in the experience it's about engaging with your own work it's about and it's about value valuing something intangible you know because we feel like in order to sell it we have to tell you what you're going to receive which is you know this this technique or you're going to learn this thing but actually what a customer is paying for in that exchange is a different kind of value it's it's being listened to being heard being challenged being a question having space to talk space to think about yourself which most of us don't get the opportunity to do and that that's and that's one of the challenges that I'm always looking at in in terms of you know working as an artist working as a freelancer and the way I share everything is that I'm sharing a lot of value you know it's it's different kinds of value other than financial but we still need that financial value but the value you know the financial bit is the only bit that's kind of validated by the rest of society you know it's all about well how much money did you make doing that yeah but I helped all these people and we did this amazing stuff and it was really exciting and people felt so much better for it but that's it's it's a constant battle I think with trying to make that into a into a business into into work Mm. when society as a whole doesn't appreciate the value of being heard or having ideas or sharing mm. ideas mm. you know, and conversations and how incredibly important they are 
Yeah, there's little spaces for those bits to land, aren't there? It's easier in a way to talk about if I invest this amount of money, then I will get my return on investment. It's kind of it's a it's a maybe a simpler way of thinking about things, whereas some of the stuff we're talking about is far more nuanced and often quite down to the individual as well and hard to hard to articulate, I think. I'm interested because you wrote a blog recently about working or being asked to work for free. Yeah. Um, and I I am I know, I know this is me confessing. I know that in my previous job working for an arts charity, I would negotiate with artists or um freelance artists, freelancers, consultants, you know, to see if they could bring the price down a bit because you know here's my budget and I I would love to go back to those days be like just pay them just pay I, I, them I the same <laughs> I had a fixed I had when I worked I worked at the VA on the adult education program and I had a fixed fee that I could pay and there was no flexibility um, yeah and for some people it was more than they, they would have charged but for a lot of people it was less and you know that was a learning process for me mm. of doing that but I think you know, I learned a lot from the people who questioned it. And I went, oh, okay. I mean, I can't do anything about this. I'll tell my manager. I mean, you know, that's that's as much as you can do and often in that situation. But I think mm. it's having the conversations, getting and starting the conversations about it is yeah. important because we're so secretive about money as well. <laughs> you know, we don't talk, nobody really talks about it in terms of I mean I was thinking about you know one of the things that I suggested or I talk about in this you know this work I'm doing about money I'm working on a kind of money manifesto my 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 feelings my opinions yeah. my thoughts that I've my learning over the last 17 years of doing this and asking you know it's very easy to say you just need to ask for some more ask for more money or negotiate for more money but I know that probably for 13 14 years of self-employment I didn't do that because in order to be able to ask for more money or negotiate you have to have confidence in yourself and confidence in the work that you're providing know the market really well and and have the right language as well you know and Mm. just feel able to do that not everybody feels able to do it and that takes some time so it's not it's never as simple as just need to ask for more (laughs) if only it was just do it yeah what so so time you think is a factor for you in terms you know what but what else changed what helped you to start really being more boundaried about pay and money um well I did some sums when I was running my teaching studio third year of running it did the sums and worked out I wasn't actually earning anything myself (laughs) and I was paying my lovely tutors and um had loads of great marketing but when I realized I wasn't you know I needed to have been tracking those numbers early I was oh yeah the income was good the turnover was good so I was like oh this is great my turnover is really high but actually so were the outgoings so yeah when it got to the end of it and I realized that this was not financially sustainable that pushed me into then looking very carefully at my finances and looking at where I was earning money and where I was potential to earn money and being more strategic about it Mm And I also did the similar process after a particularly intense year of running workshops. So I used to run a lot of textile workshops, freelance weekend workshops mostly, 
and some community projects and various things. But there was one year where I did 69 different one day workshops, which was different ones. So bespoke each time. Well, not no, it could have been the same subject, but with a different, okay. mostly okay. with different groups and different parts of the country and, you know. Uh, yeah <laughs> it's horrendous um and I, I had made myself ill but I I also worked out the amount of hours I was doing average prep average negotiation for each set of workshop travel time sorting mm-hmm. out afterwards and the actual delivery and I worked out that I was earning 10 pounds an hour mm-hmm. which you know for 12 years and 13 years in business it's not it's not what I wanted to be earning and again being in control of Having a good understanding of what I was actually earning from that helped me rethink it and think this is not sustainable. I can't, you know, because it was it's it's physically exhausting doing that degree of traveling and workshops and and face to face stuff. And also, obviously, it became completely unsustainable in the pandemic. So, luckily, I'd worked it out before then, and I'd really cut back on that and started building. So, I had a target for the other kind of work that I wanted to bring into that space, which was the consultancy artist development kind of work that Mm. I've been doing for the last four or five years and doing more of that so I had a target that I needed to cover the the income I was losing from stopping teaching and swapping another kind of income in and I gave myself two years to do that and it worked I mean you know then pandemic so nothing is straightforward anymore (laughs) it's not going in the same you know it's not working as straightforwardly as I, I it was doing it before the pandemic but that really helped me get a handle on the paid work I was doing and how inefficient it was overall and then obviously that made me look at what I was doing for you know what I was doing completely unpaid (laughs) which you know as an artist practice a lot of my work is effectively unpaid because all my studio time is unpaid um making my own work and putting together an exhibition even if I've got some arts council funding it doesn't remotely cover the amount of time I put into it and that's a choice I've made that that's you know if I'm if I'm strictly businessy looking at my income and my outgoings you know you cut the things that are least efficient and that were for me your least um economic value you know you spend lots of time doing this thing and it doesn't make you much income you stop doing that but for me that's my artist practice and I'm not yeah not, it's you. counterintuitive <laughs> as well because that's what gets me the the profile and gets me the work the other kinds of work so you know you can't look at artist practice with that kind of strict business lens because it's just not mm. how it works you know because there's different kinds of different kinds of value in the different kinds of things that I do but yeah it made me look very closely at the things I was being asked to do for free and whether they were beneficial or not and early career yes doing stuff for organizations helping out with stuff doing bits of work for free is beneficial because they like you then they you know eventually you might get some paid work or you might get you know you build networks and it is really useful but by the time I'm you know 15 16 17 years into this I don't need the profile of um you know being on a judging panel where it's not even advertised it's not like I get a there's a press release going out saying we had these amazing judges it was just please can you come and do this thing yeah um and that was that was the things that um that I that that prompted me to write the blog about it because I find it frustrating but also necessary that I'm the one saying no I can't do it and this is why because I would previously have just said yes or I would have said no I'm not available but not said actually it's not fair to ask 
freelancers to do this kind of work. Why? And then I know it's not the fault of the people asking necessarily because it's a it's an accepted normal part of the process that that's just how these things happen. They've always worked like this. You know, people come and do these things. You go on an artist panel or selection panel or or all sorts of other um, bits and pieces that you're asked to do for free. Mm. Um, and it's not necessarily, you know, it's just evaluating it personally for where you are and what you're trying to achieve, whether it's actually going to be useful to you in other ways or whether yeah. there's some other kind of value that they can, you know, an exchange of other value. Um, that They've got something that would be useful to you that might be a you know an exchange that's not monetary value but organizations I think struggle with that it's not a it's not something that they're really set up to do mm. um so that works well I think that works better with a smaller organization you know so for example you might say well I can do that that thing for free but maybe you can give me 10% commission instead of 40% commission in the shop so I'm making 30% more from my shop the things mm. that, that you sell in the shop for mm. example that's kind of one way that it yeah. can be an easier way of doing it, but a different, a diff, just a different exchange of value. But on the whole, I think that, you know, the frustration is that having to explain every single time why it's not fair to, it's not why I can't do it for free. It's why it's not fair in general to ask freelancers to do work for free that isn't necessarily going to benefit them. Yeah. You know, it's not, it doesn't necessarily, you know, if it doesn't take you anywhere. And I think that's, again, that's a similar thing to the asking for more money. It's about having the confidence in your own skills and your own expertise and the language and the the privilege in a lot of ways to be able to say those things. Because many people, many artists and freelancers don't feel able to say those things. Because mm. if, I, if I speak up, I will never get work in that organisation again. And that does happen. Mm. and you know I have seen it happen and it puts us in a very difficult vulnerable position but it's something I'm very aware of that I you know I have a lot of privileges in the way I work and the way I've built my business and how I'm how I'm lived that I can take some of those risks and I can say some of those things on behalf of people who can't or aren't in the situation to you know it's it's not changing the world it's not making a huge difference but I think the more we're talking about it the more freelancers and artists are talking about these challenges hopefully the more aware mm. will become you know people like you and me who were working in organizations and had a tight budget and needed to try and you know try and fit in I've got to fit in these 50 programs 50 events out of this budget and if that person charges a little bit less I can do that one but what I'm realizing now is the way you know I have to run my budget if I overspend on one thing I just can't do the other thing you know if I'm going to pay proper value proper yeah. fees to this person then I have to not do that second event yeah. <laughs> I mean I was writing something the other day about you know if I if I budget for I want three holidays a year but if I overspend on something else you know if I have to repair the car and I, I haven't got my holiday budget I don't expect my holiday to then be free because I've overspent <laughs> my budget yes. or I've misallocated yeah. <laughs> or I've had a you know but yet we expect ourselves you know organizations kind of expect us to do that but also we expect us that of ourselves because I do that when I write my own budgets which I do for projects kind of squeeze myself mm. out of the budget mm. in a way I would never do for anybody else I wouldn't mm. squeeze anybody else's money but I will squeeze myself yeah I like, think you're t- 
touching on so many things there. I think you're, you know, there is something about an awareness within organisations, you know, maybe for them thinking about how can we do less, how can we have a less less output, but pay people properly, do things really, really well. And I think there's something for us all to be doing around our own beliefs around money and what that means and what stops us from asking for more or or finding the people finding people like you and I have had lots of conversations about this you know finding people who can have these conversations with Mm. so you don't feel that you're alone especially for freelancers you know if you're sat in your office and you're thinking oh god I need to just earn more money how am I gonna earn more money like find your people to have that conversation with and the other thing I was I've just been writing my um, newsletter for this week and um, I've announced in this newsletter that I love Grey's Anatomy, which is an American (laughs) medical drama. And I didn't, it took me ages to think about whether I was going to write that in a newsletter because I was really worried people were going to judge me for the fact I like trashy TV. But anyway, that's that's not what I'm telling you, why I'm telling you this story. (laughs) But in this one episode I think it was last week's episode the protagonist Dr Meredith Gray is talking about curing Alzheimer's and she says she doesn't want to cure Alzheimer's because what if she fails and the guy that she's talking to says well you probably will fail but you will move the needle and it resonated so much with me because you know the conversations we've been having in in you know the group program and online and things about how we can get so afraid of putting our voice and having an opinion and saying what we think out there because we don't want to be judged and we don't want to fail at it you know having these amazing missions of you know, wanting all freelancers to be paid well and properly. You know, we might not together manage that, but we can blimmin' well move the needle. And the more people that are talking about it, the more that needle might move. So I think you saying, here I am in this position where I've created a business where I can take certain risks, I can, you know, I live my life in a certain way, I can take these risks, so I can stand up and talk about these things perhaps more so than someone who's really new in freelancing or someone who um doesn't have the privilege to be you know and doesn't feel psychologically safe to say those things yeah if we can let's not be afraid of pressing that publish button on the blog or recording the podcast or being on a panel where we can share what we think yeah and i think you know, that, that comes with, I guess, partly I think it comes with age, it comes with experience, it comes from, you know, having done this a lot. But for me, it's I, I talk to so many other artists and so many, you know, freelancers in all kind of aspects of my work, paid and unpaid work, you know, in those conversations and understanding what's going on in other people's worlds and businesses and creative practices is so important to how I think about things. So, you know, I couldn't I couldn't have come up with my manif- my money manifesto without having talked to so many other people about how it affects them yes it's about you know it's about me it's about how I have experienced money as a as a freelancer and the things that I've learned and the things that I think matter um but they've all come from you know sharing and communicating and connecting with others and Mm. and also having worked across the different bits of the sector like we mentioned at the beginning you know I started out in the museum sector working in in museums and then I've crossed over to 
to freelance, but I work with organizations quite a lot and I work, but I've worked as a kind of day day rate freelancer a lot and then, you know, or an hourly rate freelancer doing workshops and that kind of thing. And then also in the consultancy kind of, you know, that sort of, it's a, it's a different world of freelancing than the, mm. you know, the zero hours contract bit. But I kind of feel like I've tried most bits of it apart from actually running an organisation, which I <laughs> actually don't, don't have to do. Um, it's the reason I'm freelance. <laughs> but I have held budgets and I have, you know, not been responsible for, you know, entire organisations budgets, but I have been responsible for sizable amounts of public money mm. and how you allocate the spending to them. But And a lot of that is around, you know, is this is how it's been done before this is how it's always been done this kind of passed down and I think from organizations so when I started in my my last full-time job you know I was like this is your budget this is how we spend it you get to spend this that's it yeah. and you know you can't it's very rigid and when you're self-employed and running your own budget so when I do my own arts council funded projects or other funded funders projects I allocate how that money is spent but I still have a lot of the same kind of well I have to spend a certain amount on this and I have to spend a certain amount on that because I have to allocate that and the, if I overspend on design it comes out of my fee and it's one of the things that frustrates myself so that's you know part of this kind of manifesto about money is reminding myself it's note to self stop <laughs> undercutting yourself you know stop cutting out your own fee in order to balance the budget because I can't I have to practice what I preached and I have to try and try and do that and it's a it is constantly tricky because I and many other people I'm sure just underestimate how much time stuff is yeah. going to take even though I've been doing it for a long time now so I think yeah, yeah 17 days that's fine and <laughs> if you add it up you go oh my god it's actually 40 days must remember to put in the next one but it actually took 40 days to do this not 17 but then the budget yeah. doesn't work so you squeeze it down to 20 and mm. we kind of yeah shoot ourselves in the foot slightly with it but again talking about it sharing it so when I'm working with other people now working with other artists putting together their funding applications putting together budgets I kind of you know I sort of share what I've learned from this because mm. you don't know when you're starting out mm. how this is all going to fit together and how you know how to how to make all make it all add up it's it's not easy at all it's yeah yeah and I think that you know that's one thing that as a sector I think we could definitely do some more work on is around different you know finance literacy and but also like things like business models mm-hmm. very early on I think I've said this on the podcast before but very early on in my business I it, well when I first started I was like right I'm gonna probably be writing funding applications because I've always been in the not-for-profit sector and that's what you did so in my head the way I was going to run my business was by getting funding so that then you know I could support people through that way but I realized and I realized I hate writing funding applications and I really I think I, I think I would have been 
in a similar position of what you were saying you know if you're early on and you kind of you're squeezing yourself out of it I think I was in such a mindset of I just really want to help people and you know I don't really matter I'll figure it out my own way but as long as I'm here serving others it will all be okay <laughs> and um, I just had this thing actually I don't want to write funding applications and I really want to find a business model that will that will work and it's not easy you know having to market yourself get the right messaging do sales calls to get clients all of that kind of stuff is really really tricky sometimes but I suppose I've just yes I've sort of replaced the funding with with that bit but it is finding your way and it's finding what works for you and it's talking and connecting with other people I mean I think one of the things I've found really interesting over the many years is that particularly because I come from a you know designer maker kind of background of make product sell product retail trade fairs kind of world and I've moved out of that is the not understanding there's not enough information about different kind of business models for an artist yeah or freelance you know because I've already talked about the different kinds of freelance work you know from zero hours gallery invigilator kind of contracts to um you know the the, the kind of consultancy side of freelancing which um and there's so many different ways to make a living beyond make stuff, sell stuff. That mm. that was a real eye-opener for me because when I started out, I wanted to be doing the kind of work that I'm doing now, but I didn't know how to get there. I couldn't, I had no model for how to get to yeah. I'm doing interesting freelance work. So I started off in you know the product world and the zero hours contract freelancing events work which you know and it took a long time to develop that and build it up and then moving to the funding applications and then to running stuff myself not just being employed by other people to run workshops but you know and that's there's a lot of steps in there and I've done a lot of different things and it's very hard to find out how you might do that you know and that's where you know sharing that kind of stages or the different Business models. Business models will turn people off, won't it? They'll go, "Oh my yeah. god, I don't want a business yeah. model." <laughs> it sounds horrific. Ways of working. Let's yes, use different, different ways, ways of working. Different ways of earning and living. Different ways of earning and living. Income stream. Yeah, yeah. We do need. I do think we do need to. Even I know it puts a lot of people off that idea of having a business. And I'm not a business. I'm a freelancer. But I do think we need to be better at having that business mindset mm. if we want to have. If we want to be a freelancer who is making a, an impact in some way or another and is able to pay bills and not burn out because we're having to overwork we do have to get better at having these conversations there might be a different way of talking about it but yeah kind of hanging out with people who are interested I didn't realize how much I would love the business side of things mm. like I obviously love coaching and there are bits of like the business stuff is hard, but I really I'm quite geeky about it. Like I love learning new <laughs> ways of doing things or new ways of reaching out and or technology or whatever it is. I'm like, oh, what can we do next? <laughs> I mean, I'm similar in some some not quite the same aspects of the businessy side because I like a bit of strategy. I love strategy oh, yeah, yeah. and spread yeah. planning more than actually doing any of the work. But you know, coming up. <laughs> Coming up with the ideas and developing the plans for it, writing. So, like writing the funding applications, I actually quite like Gee. because I mean, I hate the actually sitting down and typing it in, but <laughs> the, the developing the project plans and that kind of stuff and the budgets, I really enjoy. Yeah. And I find that stuff, and I, but I, you know, I know that's not everybody does, but I think 
that's I think that's something that's made a difference to me when I started freelancing started my business is that my mum runs her own business and has done since I was a teenager okay and I think it's a very different kind of business but I think seeing that it helps to have some concept of what running a business looks like and I I, you know I I spent my my holiday job was working for my mum so I learned a lot which then I think it obviously really influenced the fact that I wanted to work for myself because kind of looked you know this this self-employment thing that's quite good I mean it's you know it's really really hard and really really challenging and many many problems with it but also I think having had the model of that did really help yeah made a difference um yeah in getting being able to just take that leap of going yeah I can do that I mean I think I was wildly naive and optimistic when I started my own business yeah it'll be fine be fine Um, it was much more tricky than than I acknowledged but you know to have kept it going for 17 years yeah that's amazing I'm really proud of the global pandemic yeah (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah it's 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 constantly surprises me that I'm still still doing Uh, this and but I think you've been well from what I'm hearing is that you've been quite agile in your thinking as well you know you've been able to change if you need to you've been able to step back and reflect you know that even that thing of I'm going to look at my finances now and see if this business is making any money whatsoever and then going oh yeah and I think you know I I probably knew that it wasn't which is why I realized I needed to drill into the sums a bit more Mm. but you know there's a kind of like "Mm, I have a feeling that this isn't right by the way that I seem to have no money (laughs) yeah but yeah we've got to know our numbers um I haven't asked you this question, but I'm going to. What does do good and do well mean to you, Ruth? Well, I think this is something I've really been working on for a long time, as well as been working with you specifically on it, because 10, 12 years ago, I developed a a minor but chronic condition that makes me really ill if I work too hard. And I carried on working too hard or having to work too hard because... I wasn't able to work less and still survive financially. But I got to the point where I was getting ill so often that it became unsustainable and I had to figure it out. So I had to work out how I could still do the stuff I want to do and not make myself ill. Mm. And that kind of balance, I'm not sure balance is the right word, but that bit in between of doing the stuff that I want to do in a way that is less exhausting is it's the bit I'm constantly searching for and but it's about acknowledging and understanding my own energy and my own health and accepting that I have to rest before I'm tired Mm. because by the time once I've gone too far then I'm out for weeks and I now have to rest before that happens and it's been really hard so the kind of being well part of it is a learning process and it's different for me than it is for anybody else because mm. that is very difficult. But that, you know, some of that is about how the, the sector works and understanding these different business models that I could tap into to enable me to do work that earned me money, but wasn't so energy consuming yeah. physically and things like that. So I think doing good and doing well is about finding the right way for you, for the mm. individual, for what is necessarily for your your well-being, your financial um, stability and all of the other aspects that make up 
you as a human, not just you as a as a business. Yeah. Yeah. I think you know, the lasting impact program that you're on as well, for me, that's about not and I don't think I say this clearly enough sometimes, but I think it's not just about the impact that we make in the world, but it's also the impact on us, like having a lasting impact for us so that we have a business that makes sense to us, that serves us rather than the other way around. Mm. And that you're able to be aware of, notice and action the bits that are important so that you are that the work is sustainable so that you don't get ill and mm. that you are well and then therefore making or doing the work that you really want to make yeah yeah um yeah but I think so in my head I'm wondering is it a general freelance thing <laughs> that that's hard well I suppose I work with leaders and things in organizations is it an arts and cultural thing do you think or is it a wider issue? They're working too hard and making ourselves ill. Or or trying to make a difference, you know, really wanting to be good and kind and make a difference in the world. Is arts and culture set up for that? It's a big question. It's a small question. <laughs> no, I don't think it is. I think basically, and there's going to be nuances there, but I think basically it is so underfunded and under-resourced and undervalued value in non-financial and financial terms across the board that it becomes very difficult for anybody to create a sustainable organization or individual business because you know we're constantly got resource scarcity mm-hmm. in all aspects of it and that creates a competitive system where we're competing with each other for funds and for for employment and and work and exposure you know and gallery space and exhibitions and it's all competitive and that's very very exhausting in all kinds of ways um and that basic art isn't like that it's just the art world and the art system and you know organizations are competing for audiences and they're competing for you know attendance and things as well you know it, it does go both ways that it shouldn't be competitive but yet it is and that mm-hmm. really frustrates me and I I wrote something pre- just at the beginning of the pandemic about how I was you know I was really excited that things were going to change because the pandemic was shifting all of these social models and we would go and move away from this very competitive system <laughs> and it just hasn't happened <laughs> bit gutted you know because when galleries some galleries were closing and organizations were really struggling and it was a kind of like oh there's going to be this big movement to kind of artist-led freelancer-led more cooperative ways of working and then you know it that didn't work (laughs) that hasn't happened and it's disappointing and frustrating Mm. that there hasn't been a big shift a cultural shift within the cultural sector I don't think as a result of the upheaval of the pandemic we've just kind of gone back to this is the same structures as we've Mm. always had and nothing has Mm. changed in a way that's not a surprise though if we think of you know ourselves as individual humans and we're always looking for ways of making the world familiar to us and if we had a system for you know I don't know how long 50 60 100 however long years where it's been a certain way Mm. even a global pandemic 
it maybe isn't enough for us to see that there's a that there's a yeah. new way different way of doing things because we revert back to what's familiar yeah yeah, yeah. and how the world makes sense to us mm. so we've yeah. just got to keep moving that <laughs> maybe it moved a little bit more yeah perhaps? I think so and I think you know there is more talk about you know working collectively and working collaboratively yeah. um, you know, within the sector and that and but I think it's the balance of power that really that bothers me mostly Mm. and that it's going to take a long time to shift because it's it's a big heavy old power (laughs) yes yeah well yeah it is um I've just noticed the time I'm not doing very well with my timekeeping today (laughs) so one of the things I wanted to quickly ask you about because here I am as a business you know telling people how I can help them and here is you, Ruth. You've been on a couple of my programs. So I feel like I need to take the opportunity to kind of ask you um, maybe just to share some of the things that you've learned whilst doing Lasting Impact. Anything you think would be of value to anyone listening now? I think what I've got out of it most is, and what I often say to people with, you know, who do mentoring and programs with me it's about putting the time aside to really think about this stuff Mm -hmm. and you know what happens is you you know you're you're creating this space you're holding the space and encouraging us all to spend that time and we have our weekly group sessions which are really really helpful but also it's the time in between and that's what I've tried my best to make use of um, in this Mm -hmm. program of actually really spending the time thinking about it knowing that there's a kind of an accountability with its you know it's a six months goes really quickly <laughs> think it does go really quickly and you suddenly have to kind of go oh no I need to keep 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 up with this because it's you know time's running out but I think it's what I really like and need is that challenge is being asked to think about things properly and think about debate stuff and really get into it and you're really good at asking the questions that make me go oh <laughs> it just makes my brain hurt trying to work that out but I love going away and thinking about it so for the way I like to work which is quite independently yeah that work it really works well for me um but there is also still that the the I think the regularity of, of the group sessions that they're every week suddenly that comes around so quickly <laughs> oh gosh I need to think about this what am I going to talk about what are we going to mm. work on and it keeps keeps the accountability and keeps the kind of the thinking processes going because finding that space to think about the bigger picture when you're trying to you know live a life and run a business is really hard and yeah um, I think being able to you know have a kind of container for it I think it's mm. been incredibly useful mm. yeah thank you and I think what I love about having you on the program is that you do do that. <laughs> like you do set the time aside and you do work through the modules and you do, you know, we have a the odd one-to-one and, you know, you, and I think it's a two-sided thing, isn't it? You know, that we've, it's about working alongside of each other mm. to sort of try and figure some of this stuff out. And yeah, I think. Well, I'm very yeah. conscious that the previous program I did, I was, I started it just as I then sold my house and I was basically moving. <laughs> And I wasn't in the headspace for it. Yeah, wasn't wasn't remotely in the headspace for it, and I didn't feel like I got as much out of it as I wanted to. So that's why I've kind of given myself another go. And also, you know, because that, but that started thinking process and thinking about this stuff, and then I was like, right, I'm I'm kind of ready to do this more now. Yeah, yeah. Because, and also, 
this thinking through stuff, working through stuff, coaching, you know, it doesn't ha- just happen in a vacuum of the short term, like this are the hours a week, you know, it's going on all the time. And it's kind of, I think also with the, the, the program is giving, feels like it's giving me a good grounding that I can build on it. It's mm. not just, I learned some stuff this month yeah. and then I'm back to running the business and it's not integrated. It's kind of mm. integrating all of that mm. learning into everything that I do. But, you know, it's come at a very good time or I have made the time for it mm. in order to be able to properly dig into it. And I think that really is, makes it most valuable to me. Yeah, I think that's such an important point, though, which is why I like the the evergreen model that the group is, that you can come mm. in on the month that works for you, you know, rather than the cohort of it starts January and ends August, for example, yeah. which it was before. There are people that think that like, I really do want this, but I can't quite commit to it now or I'm not quite in the headspace now and and some of that I might need to challenge a bit and go are you sure (laughs) you know because actually maybe this is the perfect time to be doing it but allowing that space for someone to join when they're ready so that they can really make the most of it is really yeah I really like the way that that's working um thank you Ruth there's so many things There's so many things we could continue to talk about, but let's end and you can go and have a bit of a rest and cough to yourself, have a lie down. Um, How can people find out more about you? How can they come and sign up to your news? I mean, I'll put everything in the show notes, but share how we can contact you. Yep. Everything centrally is on my website, ruthsinger.com. And from there, you can sign up to my newsletter, which is absolutely a good place to keep in touch with what I'm doing particularly kind of more the more freelance organizational kind of work but I'm also on Instagram Ruth Singer Textiles and Twitter Ruth Singer. Brilliant thank you so much really do go and check out Ruth's stuff well her work is inspiring and beautiful um and I always love talking to her because I get to see her studio and I'm always like oh I want a space <laughs> like that I want to be an artist <laughs> that's what I was like for 10 years when I was working in organizations so I go and look at studios and get jealous so yeah so kind of why I've done it. <laughs> and yeah has um just lots of experience being a freelancer but understands organizations too so it's brilliant read her blog all those things thank you Ruth Thank you. Feel better soon. I'll see you soon. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed listening to that and you found something that resonated. We forgot to say that Ruth has a course coming out in January called Find Your Focus. I will put the link in the show notes if you're interested in that. And also, if you would like to come into my group, if you would like my support in helping you create a financially sustainable business that has a lasting impact, then click the link in the show notes and I can send you some more details. Take very good care.